0: Well, you look at that stock market, can it get any worse? Since the majority of American households have direct or indirect investment in, ex- in or exposure to the stock market, it's pretty obvious nearly everyone these days that the stock market has been a very volatile and it's been heading south pretty much all of this year with brief spurts of growth to interrupt the sinking trend. Especially hard hit are the former high-flying tech stocks. You might be forgiven for thinking in apocalyptic terms, but with the constant drumbeat of negative news these days on all fronts, and especially on the economic and stock market fronts. So that's why we've asked Ken Fisher to join us in this episode of The Last Optimist to talk about the realities and the psychology of stocks markets and technology and a lot of other stuff. Ken founded his eponymous investment fund in 1979, taking it to today's nearly $200 billion financial behemoth. He's obviously got a a track record of some credibility. And at last count, Ken has written about a dozen books, I think, many of them New York Times bestsellers. So I'm jealous about that too, I guess. And he also writes regularly in a lot of places in the public domain. You can find Uh, his uh, brief video commentaries too on social media and full disclosure Ken was kind enough early on to read an advanced copy of my new book the cloud revolution and as they say in the book business he provided a favorable book jacket blurb for me so it's a pleasure to um, welcome the storied the ever insightful and unreasonably successful Ken Fisher to my podcast and thank you Ken for joining me for the conversation my
1: pleasure it's uh, always good to talk to you mark
0: and likewise so we're going to talk about the state of the world about stocks and markets technology trees maybe but psychology and the topics that are are squarely in your wheelhouse and i'm going to put a link to um your light your latest column real clear markets uh published by uh and managed by our mutual friend john tamney along with the podcast so people can people who don't know about your writings can find you in your writings and uh, that way they can uh, follow up in the written word but let me let me begin uh, by framing what I want to talk about uh, with a little bit of history because i I know that you you like history at least as much as I do maybe more probably know more about history than I do but uh, the frame our conversation was something trite because uh, things that are trite uh, often contain truisms that are they're obvious, so they become well. They become trite. So I, I'm going to start uh, with a quote uh, that everybody will recognize. I know you will recognize. But it's it's a perfect, I think, quote for our times. And the quote is, and you'll recognize it right away. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of the darkness. It was the spring of hope, and it was the winter of despair. So, as you well know, maybe you maybe you'd like to try a uh, work on the stage. I mean, you know, that would be good. <laughs> well, I do. You have can, a you, of- you, you could you, you you
1: could even go to Shakespeare.
0: <laughs> well, I did. I I have seen the whole canon more than more than a few times because because my wife is something of a Shakespeare scholar. I love love Shakespeare, and as you as you know, that it was pretty obvious that Charles Dickens, and as you know, that's the opening paragraph from his novel. <laughs> the Tale of Two Cities. He obviously stole some of this from Shakespeare. Everybody steals from Shakespeare.
1: <laughs> everybody steals from everybody else.
0: Well, that's the that's the art of of uh, the the art the great the art of the uh, of the advancement of knowledge is to borrow from the past. But the the, the the quote you know it's kind of I thought of this as I was thinking about what we're going to talk about because of something else that you've written about the importance of checking history and uh, when when Dickens wrote. The novel the tale of two cities was right before the french revolution and the world was in a lot of tumult it was as they say a fraught time and and most people just i mean you can use dr google now to refresh your history obviously people can do that but that was when, when dickens published that novel when he wrote it there had been pretty much a war every year for his entire life somewhere in the world pretty pretty big wars and revolutions and, and uh it wasn't just that there was uh you know, the, the the tumult leading up to the French Revolution. It was, uh, he wrote it, and it was published right after the Great Recession of 1857, 1858 in, in England and the United States. And it was what some economic historians claim was the the first uh, sort of global panic that was accelerated by the earlier 1844 invention of the telegraph. So the con- context what Dickens was writing about at the time, that, that technology was revolutionary in ways that people you know, today forgot because for the first time in history, information, including financial information, could be traded at the speed of electricity instead of the speed of a horse or ship. And it was also you know, the best and worst of times that he was writing about, again, contexting where we are today. That was, he, he published that novel only a couple of decades after the great boom, the railroad boom, the railroad technology some economic historians, I think, correctly argue was at least so far more impactful than the invention of the internet. It was, it was, uh, it led to a stock market bubble in the United Kingdom in the 1840s. So and Dickens was clearly aware of that. He was also aware of the fact that he wrote and lived at the time at, at the invention of photography, the invention of things like the sewing machine, the doctor's stethoscope, antiseptics were invented right right before he wrote that novel. I mean, I guess my point is that. The world was in uh, a, a chaotic, volatile situation politically, wars, technology, economic growth, bubbles, recessions. Uh, there were lots of uh, disappointments in politicians, as an understatement. And so here we are today, right? Kind of, kind of seems like deja vu all over again. Quote the great Yogi Berra, and but the difference between then and now. Because there's always something different. but the, th- the thing that's arguably the most different, I guess, is not that we don't have technology revolutions and political strife, is that when it comes to stock markets, which is t- something I want to talk about first, more, well over half the American households are, in, are directly or indirectly exposed to stock markets, which is why people care. Well, the news writes so much about stocks and, and the economics of the future, because stocks are obviously a reflection of what people think markets think about the future. And you wrote, Ken, to come back to, to you, it's not all about me or Charles Dickens. I liked when you wrote in your uh, June 25th column, which I'll also link to, that uh, you, remind, you remind people that the stock market is, and there's a great line, the great humiliator, right? Um, so talk, talk, to, talk to us more about what you mean by the fact that the stock market is the great humiliator and what, what it tells us about what's coming in, in our near future in this, in our front, Charles Dickens times.
1: The reality of what we all tend to want to do in capital markets in general, not just the stock market, is to trade based on what we think will happen. Intuitively, that's obvious. The reality of what markets do is, uh, and some a little more than others, but they all feed off the same basic information that everybody else has. And they want to pre-price a future that the rest of us don't see correctly. The stock market in particular has all, not always perfectly, but regularly pretty darn well been a good leading economic indicator of the economy as a whole, both domestically and overseas. And in that, for example, uh, as long as we have had uh, a leading economic index, aka uh, the LEI, Uh, the broad stock market in America has been one of them. And as uh, LEIs have been introduced into other countries, uh, it's always been one of the key factors. The fact is what that does that goes back to your question about the great humiliator is because it's a leading indicator just about the time that we all think everything is just terrible in terms of you know your dickens quote about the worst of times yeah. uh, the market's looking six nine months out into the future and going up and uh, about the time we think it's the best of times uh and boy oh boy uh, yeah. as you, know, you used to hear more commonly than you do now when uh you know when i was young back when dinosaurs roamed the earth the 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 notion that, you know, you could forecast earnings three, four, five years out with some yeah. semi-accuracy. That's just about the time the market's going through the floor. And the the, the fact is, uh, and you can see, but you can see this outside of the stock market as well. You can see it yeah. in other capital markets. You can see it, for example, in how crypto is traded. Yeah. You can see it. Um, Oil prices. Uh, in, Or or, or just the price of some individual subsets, yes, oil, some subsets of the market regularly the year from what the whole market's doing, because they're pre-pricing a future that we don't see. And so because we bet and trade based on what we individually think will happen, and our sentiment is overwhelmingly run over by group think, because what everybody else thinks tends to impact what we think. Uh, And it's very, very hard for us to buck what all our friends, neighbors, uh, associates, business partners nod their head about, positively or negatively. Uh, It it just translates into this part where we tend to think and get impacted by an awful lot of what everybody else thinks about. And then the market, of course, is going to tell us that we're wrong because that's what everybody else is already bet on. I mean, the fact is, if you can hear everybody say it. They already bet on it and if they've already bet on it where's the money to keep moving the market uh in that direction the let me just and, and then of course in modern times going back to your point about the telegraph uh and of course the telegraph happens at an interesting time because that's in parallel right after uh, the onset of the British Industrial Revolution. Yep. Uh, it's as steam engines are starting to proliferate around yep. uh, the world. And you make the point about trains. Yeah, that's a good point, but it's pretty hard to have trains in those days without steam engines. Yep. And it, 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 at one level, there's an entanglement there. And, you know, you, in a lot of your writing, you talk about entanglements. You don't always use that word, but, uh, the fact is, Steve entangled with a lot of other innovations uh, and that's the way innovations commonly work. Yep. And, and uh, today we have this thing with, uh, I think it's called the internet, and, uh, and, and people get all this information from all these places, uh, some of which they, they, they have less confidence in than maybe they might have had an information they received decades ago, but it impacts increasingly that group think part. And uh, you, you take an example that I think is very recent, and a uh, two actually. And whenever I do something like this, I'm about to get myself into trouble, which I do easily and commonly.
0: <laughs> we're ready, take, we're holding our breath here. Let's go.
1: You, you take February, the Ukraine war starts. Yeah. You took almost any major online site or any print newspaper. You're going to see a whole lot on the front page of that print newspaper about the Ukraine war and online at any major website that featured news at all uh, you're going to see a lot of ukraine war russia ukraine war splinter factions that are associated with that whether it's how this is going to impact this how it's going to impact that you can get away with it well that's four months ago right now yeah four months ago right now and right now you can find out about the ukraine war but you have to work at it to do it If if you go to i don't care if it's Uh, Let's say you're uh, a more ideologically conservative uh, person and you'd like to go to Fox, let's say, or you're more on the left and you want to go to MSNBC, let's say. You're going to have to start working around on the Internet to find out very much about the Ukraine, where that took four months. Whereas four months ago, it's the most important thing in the world. Oh, my God, this is changing everything. It's the First war on European soil since, and and you went on and on and on. Yeah. Now you know this week, as we speak, we've just had from last week the Supreme Court ruling on Roe v. Wade. Yeah. And I don't want, I don't want to get into all that stuff. I want to say that it's getting the same kind of attention now that exactly. the Ukraine war got four months ago. And yeah. what that, and I don't want to predict that it'll be exactly four months until it will have faded in the news. Also. But right now, you've got going to your best of times and worst of times, people saying, oh, my God, this is wonderful. Oh, my God, this is terrible, yep. depending on the persuasions and their views. And and they're feeling those emotions very hard. Those emotions are their enemy in the capital markets. Yep. Yep. The, the, the fact is your emotions and your ideological views are always your enemy in the capital markets. And there's so many people that have had to view, because of their ideological views, that, let's say... Um, Things were going to be great because Donald Trump was president. Things are going to be terrible because Joe Biden's president. And this stuff goes on and on and on. It does yeah. literally? Yeah. I want to point out that uh, this year, you know, we've had a tougher time in the stock market. Last year was a great year in the stock market. Uh, and and uh, if if you try to tell me you know what's going to happen next year, I'm going to want to know how well you've done in thinking about markets in the past and how well you've navigated markets in the past. But nice. even there. The very best, the very best. I don't care who are only right about seventy percent of the time. I mean, if you can be right about the 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 goal is all about being right more than you're wrong. If you can be right seventy percent of the time in the long term in capital markets, you will become a legend in your life. Well,
0: there's no question. In fact, as as you well know, statistically, if you're right fifty one percent of the times, you you can be a winner. You just you just have to
1: can be a winner but i mean liter- literally you know people idolize and and i'm not arguing against it uh, warren buffett, buffett. but yeah. if you just go back actually analytically and look at warren buffett's history and look at how often he's been wrong you know he's been wrong sure. good strong 30 percent of the time
0: sure. yeah
1: and exactly. and, the, and the fact <laughs> of the matter is the legends are built out of people that are a little more right than they are wrong you know, 60 percent, 65 percent, 70. I mean, if I could just make a contract to be right 70 percent of the time, sign the contract, which <laughs> was actually guaranteed by God. Yes, sir. You know, I, 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 I'd take that contract in a heartbeat and never try to make a decision on my own ever again, ever.
0: Well, you, you, you implicitly made that contract because that's where it, you, you've been over the decades. And, and, and I can say that you, you, would, you would sound like you're boastful. But here, here's what's interesting to me. To, to your point um, and what I what I've always tried to, to tease out not just in stock markets but any kind of stock market so if you're in, if you're an investor you're you're making a forecast by definition right that's just all, and we all make forecasts and and as you well know because you were kind to read it blurb it in my book I'm a book above forecast my cloud revolution book what I what I thought a lot about as I wrote that was was separating out understanding and separating out the two the, the two features, and I'm simplifying the two features of human nature when we do forecasting. One is the psychology of forecasts, which is uh, it, it's built into human nature because we are psychological beings. So understanding that doesn't mean that it's irrational. In fact, people who say that humans are irrational, it's sort of it's uh, an oxymoron. We are reasoning people, and that means we're not irrational, but our reasoning may not be logical. If you, you get my point. We, we, we behave, we react to emotions. But underlying that, there are phenomenologies that have predictive value. I mean, when the telegraph was invented, it had predictive impact. I mean, it changed a lot of things. Not all in ways that are easy to predict, but it was predictable that it would change things. The steam engine, to your point, the steam engine combined with steel and the telegraph gave us the railroad system. It was that combination
1: but oh, a, lot, wow. a lot a lot, more than that, a lot more than that. I mean, if you just go off into things like uh, uh, the, the steam engine, for example, permeated the lumber industry in yep. the 1860s, 70s, and 80s in yep. every state in America, every yep. single one. Yep. You were running steam engines in mills and in the field with a thing developed in the 80s called the donkey engine. Yep, uh, steam
0: tractor, yep.
1: Yeah. And that every single well, the donkey engine precedes uh, uh, traction engines. Yeah. The donkey engine is actually, you know, a, a, was actually a a, a vertical boiler uh, put on uh, skids and pulled into the woods right. by its own power, right. and then moved around in the woods by its own yeah. power. Located in a place with, uh, you know, yeah. with with side anchors, and then you know yeah. logs were pulled into it uh, yeah. to move to the mill. But I mean, my, I don't want to get off of into tangents here, but but the point is. You know, the inventive mind is working on things that are linear. Yeah. And to your point about capital markets, capital markets are inherently nonlinear, which is a point that is, I think, a little really hard for most people to get. We come from people who started from a hunter-gatherer environment and, you know, sensed the seasons, knew the weather was a little unpredictable, but knew it was going to be, you know, more like this in the summer and more like that in the winter. And, you know, kind of knew when the seasons for the critters came around for hunting <laughs> and, uh, understood a certain amount yeah. about what, you know, berries grew when, and where, Yeah, yeah. and, and that's all pretty linear stuff. Yeah. And, 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 and then when we got off into the beginnings of farming, that's, well, it's just kind of an extension. And, you know, um, the, 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 the fact is it isn't until we've been doing that for most of what to date is human existence that you get to this new non-linear wacky thing called capital markets.
0: And it, and it you know, it's interesting that, I mean, one of the books I liked, I think we've talked about it before is that the short book called the history of money, which looked at the, you know, development of, you know, what the, 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 me, me, the mechanics of how we do trade other than barter, the you know, creation of coinage paper and, and debt and, uh, you know the the evolution towards where we are today of having stock markets which is a pretty modern pretty modern thing uh in terms of human history it's very very recent extremely exciting in in the sense that and and, and scary for a lot of people but the, again back to the psychology what's intriguing here is that you have the psychology of how I'll, I'll call it psychological technology develops to your point that when, when a new invention comes along, whether it's a steam engine or the internet, whether it's a telephone or a cell phone or, uh, antibiotics, or wh- whatever it is, right. Uh, what people do with it specifically is hard to predict because of, because people are so creative. You, you just know that, that it's going to do something right. It's, and you know when there's discontinuities because human, human beings tend, at least in my experience to think that change is, sort of linearly progressive that if there's been x amount of change in the past year there'll be the same x amount of change in the next year you sort of naturally think in those terms as opposed to interregnums where not much happens then all of a sudden all kinds of things happen it's in these uh, and they happen in cycles that are not predictable in the sense that they're always 10 years or always two years there's the, it's a the cyclical nature of how these confluences happen so you take that and you layer onto that the psychology of markets to your point where people's belief and faith, you know, the famous experiments, you, 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 I know you've you read them where, you you know, the psychiatrists will do these experiments, will take a room full of people, students, and tell all the students that they're going to agree on something that's just silly, wrong. And you, you're, you don't know that you're the goat in that room. And everybody is saying and agreeing about something that's just outrageous, silly. And, and the capacity for you as the outlier to run orthogonal to the group that's saying something silly, it's really difficult. People have a hard, hard time with that. So everybody To the
1: the point that you you take some guy like you. (laughs) Now, you're really good on uh, all this uh, energy technology stuff. And you cite a lot of really interesting stats that you create out of that. And then, because people can't handle it, they don't argue against you they attack you personally That's true. I've I've seen some of the comments made about you that do not address the reality of what you've <laughs> said or not said they just attack you and when once they once they start attacking you you know there's there's things you can say uh, that include the notion that there are people that, you know, should be attacked. And they usually fall into the category of people that end up as convicted criminals or, or politicians, one or the other.
0: <laughs> well, and, but then you repeat your stuff, as Mark's fine.
1: <laughs> I always do. And and then and and then otherwise, you know, when they start attacking you. Uh, I and mean, if you go up and you punch somebody in the face, well, then it's easy to understand why they hit you back. But if you're just making arguments about something. And then they start attacking you. That's really an argument of the poverty of of what they've got in their brain in terms of that topic matter. And, uh, you you know, it in in this plays in capital markets where when they don't like what you're saying and when they're all bearish or they're all bullish and you're saying something contrary to that, they want to attack you. It's the same thing. Human psychology has this part that goes back to our tribal days where it's as if, oh, that person who's saying those things isn't in our tribe. If he's not or she's not in our tribe, we need to attack them because they're a witch or they're this or they're that. And uh, even to the point where you can see these people online, uh, uh, you know, doing things that if they were done back to them, they'd be appalled at, but they attack you with personal attacks that have nothing really to do with the topic matter, but have to do with, Oh, did you see the way, uh, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll get attacked online for how I use my hands, uh, the, the tone of my voice, uh, you, you know, the look of my yeah. nose. Uh, you know, people accuse me of dyeing my hair.
0: Uh, on I can't be accused on. of that.
1: And uh, maybe maybe you it gray. Um, maybe you shave yourself bald so you will look distinguished. I don't know. But um the fact of the matter is that these attacks are really a statement about the poverty
0: of their own. Uh, yes, argument. You're right. Well, the, the interesting thing about this, and I, by the way, I don't um, my wife will read comments when I publish. And I like you, I publish frequently and I try not to read comments online because they erode my faith in humanity. So, But I do. But when people email me, I, I respond because somebody takes the time to be personal and write you, even if they disagree with you, as you as you know, in your in your world. I'm happy to debate people, but when they go to ad hominems, um, and you're right, the psychology of this is fascinating, because it's not just personal that when people don't like your idea, they attack you, because they don't have either the psychological ability or the intellectual ability to engage the issue, which is, of course, what matters. Because, I mean, I've been wrong, rarely. No, I'm kidding. I mean, when you're wrong and somebody explains and they counter your argument and you discover either that you were wrong or there's a nuance to what you believe that you didn't really recognize when you're forced to defend yourself. This, this is how, you know, we advance learning, not just human comedy, but the, the psychology of this with respect to both markets and politics, we see all the time, the tribalness, the tribal nature of, of it all. But again, when it comes to, let's just say, I'm interested in making a good decision with my investments. Let's just say that Uh, the the ability to pull back, to be rational, to try to not rational, to try to to try to push the crowd and market psychology behind you, your own, because we all come to issues with the bias, but also whatever all the noise around you, what everybody is saying, your point about Ukraine wars really spot on because both in terms of uh, issue du jour, and there's always an issue du jour, occupying the media cycle, which in the media is, in a sense, a perfect avatar for the way human nature is because it's a a medium. You remember uh, Marshall McLuhan's famous, now infamous line, the medium is the message. The medium becomes the message. It just absorbs it. It lives it because of human nature. And it's very distracting. It's very, very hard to look at it i come back to stock markets. You know, I, and I've I've said to people now that we have this, this uh, this down market uh, and the psychology of that the tech is now dead and it's all back to growth and commodities. And of course, I'm as you know, I'm very bullish on commodities because the world can't avoid them. You need you need you need the basic materials to go into making everything, but the price of them is 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 partly the markets, partly psychology, but more importantly. The sense that it's is over, right, when that I was on a show recently where people basically were making the point, that's it, tech's bust, it was over, people are way out over their skis, and uh, we're, we're finished, and it's the end of the tech age. And I reminded the, the, the host, well, you know, 1999, 2000, just to pick a recent bubble, when that tech bubble burst, some of the companies were certainly overvalued in terms of stock markets or whatever. But after that, I just my question was rhetorical and answers itself. Did anything happen? Did anything get invented that was new? Did any new companies come along and do something different that really propelled economies and excitements? I mean, the iPhone came along in 2007. Amazon was really not on anybody's radar in 2000. And you just go through the list of things. We'll pick Elon Musk in his, in his infamous cars. It was 2012 before the first Tesla was, the sedan was introduced. So the the idea that there's nothing new coming. So this is, you know, it's a poverty of imagination. Uh, But what intrigued me was your column about the velocity of the turn of market sentiments. And, And you were very careful not to predict that the history of the velocity of change from sentiment being bearish to sentiment being bullish is predictive of the velocity that will happen this time. But the history of how quickly markets turn from the sentiment of, gee, it's all downhill to all of a sudden, it's a bull market again. It's all uphill. Uh, I was, you know, I I, I knew better thinking about it, but I was really surprised at the, the statistic, how quickly and how it turns and how fast the cycles are.
1: So normally, although not perfectly, the faster the drop, uh, the descent, uh, the faster the subsequent ascent. Uh, and particularly that's true uh, at the very back third of, let's say, a bear market. That typically is pretty good at predicting uh, the beginning of a new bull market's rate of ascent. But the part that people miss is that what markets are pricing is that difference between uh, prior expectations and subsequent realities. So the way people think is, oh, I think it's going to be terrible. And then it's pretty bad, but not quite terrible. That'll make the market go up. (laughs) Because the reality is better than the expectation. And people have a hard time with that because they look at the pretty bad and they keep expecting to get the rest of it. Well, we got this much bad, but I'm expecting even more bad. I've been expecting even more bad. It's going to come. When you think back periods like 2010, uh, 11, 12, as we've come off the bottom of the 2009 bear market, uh, people kept talking about uh, another shoe dropping, yeah. uh, that we were mired in recession. Now, mind, recession was over by then. I mean, yeah. the, the formal definition of recession is not, you know, that you're higher than you were before the prior peak, but that the economy is now expanding rather than contracting. Right. And, and that, at that point in time, we're clearly in recovery. Uh, but no one's ready to accept that. They kept looking for uh, more negative. And of course, back to the point of energy between 2011 and 14, regularly the price of oil uh, was over a hundred bucks a barrel when a hundred dollars was worth a little more then than it is now. And, uh, And they kept thinking that was going to drive the economy back into the floor, among many other things, which of course did not happen. Uh, Many other things, including the whole pigs phenomena and um, and the point being that it's the difference between expectations and reality. So when it's bad, but not as bad as people thought, market goes up and that's really hard for the the linear human brain to get. you know, it's 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 just like in the media when you you know have some natural disaster, you start getting more natural disaster stories. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, the reality of this is uh, tricky. You made the point earlier uh, about the endless imagination of humans to come up with things, and then later after that, you made the point about after uh, you know the two thousand. Uh, tech stock bust, you had new innovations. I'd make the point that some of those companies that were riding so high have uh, become hugely less important, uh, if not uh, largely unimportant at all. And other ones emergent, of course. But that's not unusual. That if you look at things in a longer term span, And think of 10, 20, 30, 40 years, even 50 years, and look at how many of the largest stocks remain among the largest stocks. It's almost none. That is the placement factor among not just the largest, lots of them disappeared off the face of the earth. If you look at the largest stocks in America, when I was a young man in this business, uh, the Fact is you would have had Polaroid, Xerox, yep. Eastman Kodak, Kodak. Eastman yep. Kodak, yep. uh you uh would have had, of course, there's Yep, you yep. would have had um you would have had um, companies that are still around like General Motors, but General Motors going back to the saying that younger people will have never heard and older people did hear which is as goes General Motors so goes the country. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's clearly not the case today. Um, and as, as, as per 2009, 10, General Motors goes bankrupt and the country uh, actually had recovery. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the reality of the, the only ones actually to your point that have stuck around at that level you, you know what they are <laughs> the ones that have stuck around this whole time
0: yeah
1: the one that well, stays in the top 10 all the time is exxon yep, yep. uh and and yep. then behind that you get chevron yep and uh the reality is that's maintained itself but otherwise they come and go and 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 yet now we have not, not just amazon we have lots of companies and you, you knew Jim Michaels. Jim Michaels yep. put this thought into my a brilliant, wonderful man. Uh, J- Jim, Jim Michaels had this thing that he told me that riveted my head when I was younger, which was, it's not the technology companies themselves that make all the change. It's innovators that use the technology exactly. to do something nobody's ever done before or it, it, thought exactly. about before.
0: Exactly. And,
1: and and so when you think about many of the things that we utilize today, that are been innovative in the last you know couple of decades, whether it might be let's say Uber,
0: yeah.
1: Uber is not some advanced technology company; no. it's a service company, right. And, right. The, and and the technology involved is pretty you know pedestrian, yeah. but 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 somebody thought of this crazy idea and went out and made it happen, and it's the utilization. Exactly. More important. Intel is inherently a technology company. Taiwan yep. Semiconductor is inherently a technology yep. company. Yep. More power to them for doing that, which benefits all the rest of us. But the fact is that also some crazy person uh, far physically removed from them thinks up how to come up with some crazy idea to do something that nobody had ever thought about before and makes it all better. So I have some difficulty, and I've always had some difficulty with this best of times, worst of times, Dickens kind of a concept. (laughs) Because fundamentally, the worst of times features that we have today are so tiny compared to the worst of times that people had in my father's lifetime or still in my grandfather's lifetime. And then we're still, when you go back through history, that we are very blessed to be, I mean, life's not perfect, you know, life, but, but, but in reality, there's this, oh my gosh, in our brain, which is about the psychology of bad. And yet in reality, you know, people have it better than they've had it before. And we, and and we'll continue to, and we'll take that for granted. And then be negative as they take that for granted. But the fact of it is, and uh, capitalism has been, for all things material, the most blessed phenomenon that's ever happened to humans. And I mean, the fact is none of this stuff would have happened without capitalism, whether it was the steam engine or, or, or you can invent the technology, but without capitalism, you can't get it out to help people. And, Absolutely,
0: yeah, no question.
1: And and that feature of some crazy guy coming up <laughs> with some crazy idea to do something nobody ever thought about doing before. And a lot of people say, boy, that'll never work. Um, that that and, and takes that risk, creates that uh thing. Yeah. Uh, those those. And then later, of course, people just take it for granted because, you know, gee, everybody's got an iPhone
0: or a smartphone. Yeah. Everybody phones. has a car. Everybody can fly on an airplane. The challenge with uh, presentism, of course, is that it's endemic to being human. Human, I mean, Just like like all other biases and emotions, it's natural to have an effect that we guess uh, what I think the future might look like, whether it's about technology or markets or politics. So let's let's take a break here, and we'll return to the subject of the nature of human nature in innovation and entrepreneurship and even in politics in the next segment of this podcast. In the meantime, uh, please don't forget to give us a rating, a favorable, a favorable one, if, uh, if you please, on whatever platform you, uh, li- you use to listen to this podcast. So until next time for part two of our discussion with Ken Fisher, this is Mark Mills signing off for The Last Optimist.